I'd say that my argument would be that it's always been like that. You've always needed to stand out, but now even more so the case. And on the positive side, there's never been more ways to stand out. Now you can literally go on the internet, learn new skills, you know, create stuff, put yourself out there. You can write online. You can put your code online. You can create videos. You can start podcasts like you're doing. There's so many ways. And that honestly, when I've hired people through the years, when someone has that on the side, that personally, I love like that because I know they're the sort of person who is motivated enough to go and learn something themselves. Welcome to Behind the Thread, the podcast where we interview your favorite content creators on Twitter so you can learn more about the person behind the tweets. My name is Callum. Today we have a mega two-part episode with Bilal Zaidi. Bilal is the founder of Creator Labs, which is his digital marketing agency. He's also the host of the Creator Labs podcast, where he's interviewed the likes of Gary Vee, Tim Urban, Anthony Pompliano, among others. He's one third of the Not Investment Advice podcast with Trung Fan and Jack Butcher as well. In this episode, we talk about how Bilal started working at Google straight out of university, the importance of standing out, how anyone can make an instant impact at their job, how to succeed working in a big company, and how to take your career to the next level. Before we get into it, let me just say this. One of my big takeaways from this episode is that it's so important to make sure you're working on the right things. Everyone talks about working hard, but make sure you are working on the right things. Anyway, enough spoilers. Let's get into this interview with Bilal. I'm excited. Let's go. Bilal, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for the invite. I'm excited. I'm excited. Two London boys coming together on this. <laughs> I know, man. I know. It's funny because we're both in New York and they both sound like this. It's confusing for people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So just to just to start off, can you kind of give like a short like elevator pitch on kind of the things you're working on right now, yeah. what you do day to day? Yeah, so nowadays I'm I'm self-employed. So for the last three years, I've been doing the same thing. So I do a few things, but I would split them into two big buckets. Half of my week is the podcast. So I have two podcasts, one called Creator Lab, one called Not Investment Advice. Creator Lab is interviews with entrepreneurs. And uh, Not Investment Advice is a, a weekly show on what's going on in the world of business tech, Web3, all that fun stuff with two other dudes. And uh, so that's kind of half the week. And then the other half of the week, I also run a growth marketing consultancy business. And uh, so I mostly work with startups, VC-backed startups, helping them scale once they've already kind of got to product market fit. And my expertise is on how do you get from one customer to 10 to 100 to a million or whatever. And so that's kind of what is my, I, don't, I wouldn't call it my day job, but it's like what pays a lot of bills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the, the podcast makes a little bit of money as well, but it's not optimizing primarily for money in that case. There's a lot more, more to that one. Okay, cool. I definitely want to get into like the different podcasts you're working on and also how that feeds into the business that you have as well. But I kind of want to take it, start at the beginning. Obviously, I said kind of earlier on, we both grew up in London. I was reading like an article, uh, like a blog post that you did, where you were talking about the different like creative like ventures and different things you did uh, growing up. Can you kind of just talk about that? Like some of the different businesses? And yeah, what yeah. You were... Was that on my website? Or yeah. I'm trying to think where I've even written it. But yeah, yeah. So I guess the first big thing, I mean, the first official 
I mean, I don't even know if you call it official. The first thing that made actual money was I was 16 and I started an e-commerce business. But just to take a tiny step back before that, I was kind of the kid in school that like sold stuff, right? Like legal stuff, but like uh, anything I could get my hands on from back in the day burning CDs. So I don't know if any of your audience has that experience or did that once upon a time, but you used to download you know, when I was like 11 or 12 years old, you'd download music and you could burn it onto CDs. So I'd go down to Stratford in East London. There was like a computer fair there and buy a huge stack of CDs for like five pounds and then sell them for like five, 10 pounds at school. Stuff like that, I sold SIM cards. I bought in sweets from the sweet shop and sold them at school and stuff like that. So I was always just, I don't know where that came from, but naturally I always just kind of like was looking at ways of making money, I guess. And and more than just money, it was just like the fun of it. Like I still buzz from selling something, right? Like in a, not in like a sleazy, like buying my shit sort of thing, but like like the, there's like a, a target and you go and make it happen. It's just a weird thing. I've kind of grown to accept my brain is like that. So that was like throughout school, I used to make websites and do all that sort of stuff on the internet. And then when it came to, I went to sixth form college in the UK at 16 years old, and by that point, I'd started selling like clothes in the playground, so to speak. So people like I was really into clothes at that time. So, you know, just kids clothes like hoodies and new era hats and beanies and stuff like that. And all the kids at school would say, oh, that looks kind of cool. Where'd you get it from? And I'm like, enough people ask you that. I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should just sell it to them instead. So I started like figuring out how to buy it from First of all, I started buying stuff on eBay and, and selling it. And then eventually found real suppliers. I created little connections with the local market people in Walthamstow Market in East London. It's actually the longest market in Europe, apparently. Uh, so that for people who aren't from the UK or have seen that, to paint a picture, it's kind of like a street market. But you're walking through with a bunch of Cockney geezers shouting stuff like, two pound of banana, like selling fruit. And yeah. there's like a Rasta guy in the corner selling massive Bob Marley t-shirts and stuff like that. So it was, I grew up around that. So I'd walk past them, make friends with them and like see the tools of the trade. Like how do they convince someone to come to their store? Like what's that interaction like? How do they build rapport really? So that was kind of definitely the foundation of what I did later. And then really quickly, the second big thing that was notable as a, a kid anyway, was uh, a big Arsenal website. So I'm a big Arsenal football fan. And I used to like blog just myself and then eventually kind of grew that to you know scale beyond myself. So this was always like the pattern, right? Like, you, uh, like I had curiosity to do something and then I'd find, okay, how do I go beyond what I'm currently doing? And it was all quite organic. I didn't have like a big master plan on that one, but that grew to about half a million visitors. I had 25 writers and uh, really, really, really good fun except for when arsenal started not being as good and it was really difficult <laughs> to keep it up because it would be emotional you know yeah so that, those are the main ones before university yeah we've had a lot of tough years i feel like as arsenal fans oh yeah you're an arsenal uh, fan too right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've had a lot of tough years okay cool i think one thing i think is really interesting and people are always trying to figure it out in their own lives it's like trying to figure out what they were meant to do like what's their calling what's their purpose and i always find it interest even something that Gary Vee talks about is the fact that he's like a purebred entrepreneur kind of similar to what you were saying like even as a kid he was always flipping stuff like it's almost in his DNA I'm kind of interested because obviously you you went and worked for Google and other companies 
do you kind of like looking back now, do you feel that you were, you're a pure bed, pure bread entrepreneur? Yeah, I've, I've, it's a good question. I think I would say it depends what you count as an entrepreneur, right? Because anyone can start a company and I guess that makes you by definition an entrepreneur. I haven't created like a massive, you know, like big startup or something like that, but I've always had little businesses. That's kind of what I think my core is. And then over time I've learned to go beyond that. Like for example, at Google, you learn how to scale stuff to millions, hundreds of millions, billions eventually. And that is something you can't really do often on your own. Like most people will never get to that scale. But there's, I think the nice thing is if you can have both, like if you can have that core like to build stuff and then you can learn the professional stuff, which actually in the tech community, in the startup world, a lot of people are almost looked down on it by this point. But I think that's because they don't have the experience, in my opinion. Like there's there's plenty of people who work at those companies that are just chilling and not doing that much interesting stuff. Mm. But there's incredibly really there's really, really smart people there as well. And people don't realize like the skill it takes to take a company like Google to if you just saw their earnings last week, they smashed the numbers. And it's crazy to think even at that scale, they're still able to keep doing that. So yeah, so there, to answer your question, do I think I've always had that in me? I think I have just because I've always kind of just had a, I hate to use the word passion, but like really I've always just been interested in it. And it was, it probably came from needing it in a way as well though, right? It's like looking at opportunities. I was probably quite ambitious as a kid because, you know, growing up, where we grown up, you know, we weren't like dirt poor, but we weren't thriving either. And like my family's mm. finances every month were in an overdraft. And I would like look at the spreadsheet with my dad and be like, damn, every month we go into three grand in overdraft and then we have to make it back. So when you come from that like baseline, you're always looking for like, how do I add another 500 to that? How do I add another thousand? Mm. And I feel like a lot of people, once they've done well, they say, oh, it's not about money and all this stuff, which I know it's not only about money, but when you are, when you don't have much, you actually, it really is about money at that moment. Like there's, it makes yeah. a huge difference to someone's life. And it's, I think it's actually quite like arrogant of a lot of people, especially in our world where they just kind of almost look down on it. They don't realize that people like really need that stuff and they need to, to make a difference to their family's lives and stuff like that. So yeah, I think yeah. it kind of came from that curiosity but also like the fun of the chase a little bit you, you know what's interesting and it, it'd be interesting if you looked at some of the best like entrepreneurs and founders I feel like when you when you're in a situation where you need something like it's almost you're you're not just doing it purely just because it's interesting there's kind of also a need there and you don't have like a ton of resources to play with it makes you a lot yeah. more innovative like you Definitely. start seeing opportunities in these weird areas and I think kind it of forces figures. you, man, you know, because what yeah. happens is when you become too comfortable and I've actually struggled with this, you might've heard me talk about this as I've done better in my own career or like become more comfortable, saved money, invested, you know, got to a certain level of, you know, income or whatever, you could kind of become a little soft, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I hate to use that word, but it's, you start becoming too comfortable and I honestly I've still struggled with that now because you kind of get to the point where you're like okay I don't need to do xyz but why do I want to go and get up every day and do something and if it's just mm -hmm. money by that point it's not enough because if you've already got a decent amount of money 
that's that you need to move on to the next stage. So like when you're 16 and you need the money or you're 21 or you're 25 and you're just starting out, there's there's this automatic ambition that a lot of us will have. But then and now I'm like 33. So maybe I'll have this conversation again at 45 and 55, hopefully. And mm-hmm. I'll be able to say, oh, well, then I was able to evolve. But that is actually what happened with me. So after being at Google, I was there for seven years. I started the podcast Creator Lab in 2015. And that was like, you watched that five, six years into Google. So that was me searching for a way to find the new, the next thing, like to find mm. that meaning that you said to like up level. Because by that point, I was pretty comfortable financially. I wasn't retired, but I was like, okay, I feel pretty good. I've got some savings. And then you can start to play like, you know, attacking football versus defensive. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like Mourinho's out the bag. It's like Arsene Wenger football <laughs> going forward. So Tap it's like yellow. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's kind of how there was a bit of a shift for me in being able to be a bit more proactive about what I wanted to do. Okay, cool. Let's let's take it back up a little bit. How how did you like start working at Google? And like, how did that even come about? Also, like, what stage was the company even at when yeah, you initially so got was, there? I started in January 2010. So it's still an established company, public company, yeah. but there were 18,000 people there. And now I think there's like, at least 150,000 maybe, I, d- I don't even know. Definitely more than 100, I think it's 150, maybe more. So I think that gives you a sense of the scale. They also, you know, they were, this was also just after the recession. So for your younger listeners in 2008, if you, you might have been eight years old, there was obviously the big uh, financial crash with the, the property market and credit crunch, you would have read about that. That was basically the year I graduated right from from school so it was actually a, on paper the worst year in 100 years to graduate so it was i was very very lucky because i had created this experience for myself with the internet like cuz i did the e-commerce stuff i did the the blog thing that blew up and then i started doing like seo for other people and like learning all the digital marketing side so on my linkedin profile i literally had those keywords right and i went to a decent school i went to school in london called imperial so so yeah so because of that i actually got reached out to by a recruiter from google after i graduated and they found me on linkedin and i became friends with that girl who who did the initial outreach and she said i was like oh i'm curious how do you find like me in that way and she said oh we literally have a system where you look at certain schools and you're typing in keywords and you had both so you were a potential person for us. And if you think mm. back then, it wasn't like tech was becoming really big and cool, but this was still when finance was the dominant thing. People, if you studied at business school or did economics, I think you did like PPE or something, I think I saw, yeah. right? So all of those, like half your class back back then would want to go into consulting and finance, banking, stuff like that. They still do now. They still do that now, I know. (laughs) But what happened is, and that was because they're always the highest paying jobs, right? Uh, Not because the most interesting work in the world, let's be honest. And then after that, but during the 2010s, tech really did grow, obviously. Now big tech is a dominant player as well. So nowadays you're either going into those industries or you're going to consulting and banking still. So I think that became like the third big recruiter for like you know a lot of good talent and so yeah i was obviously very lucky in that way but it's kind of like everything right like this is a philosophical debate but 
it's like how much of it is complete luck how much is it because you mm. worked hard how much is it because i created the website that i was actually able to put that on my linkedin profile that i was relevant candidate so at that moment it was a fairly unique uh, skill set to have gone to a good school like that studied business economics and had like decent uh, digital uh, experience for that age i was 21 years old so uh, you still have to obviously go through all the all the interviews and stuff like that and uh, honestly at the time i wasn't really looking for a job i was trying to do my own thing straight away out of school because mm -hmm. i was like oh i'd go to school and then i'll go back to doing what i was doing and then when that came along i actually didn't do the interview i didn't i responded and said oh thanks this is amazing i'm a big fan of google but i'm not looking for a job and then we just stayed in touch and then a month later i was like what am i doing that is so stupid so mm. eventually i went back and then yeah it took several months eventually and got that got that job you know you know what's such an interesting and i think it's something that's very kind of relevant today as well because i graduated a few years ago and when you're a new graduate i think the job market is so competitive now like there's so many graduates that come from like incredible schools that do like really good degrees that are really smart and especially with everything being remote i'm assuming a lot more companies are like hiring internationally as well like you don't yeah. even need to be in new york or in like yeah. one of these to a certain big extent hubs. definitely it's definitely becoming easier to hire people from all over the place and the culture's change where people accept oh we're doing stuff on zoom now or whatever but i do think personally we're gonna go back to like a hybrid which i yeah. think is probably a good balance because no one needs to be in the office five days a week. Like that's unnecessary. But I do actually miss like one or two days a week would be actually really kind of a fun mix if you choose to do it and if your company embraces that. There's got there's plenty of there's clients of mine that I work with that who are just strictly remote from day one. Mm. And they have offices, but it's kind of like a you get to choose if you want to live that life, you know? Yeah. Like even where I work, it's completely um, remote. It's completely remote. Yeah. And I guess I'm kind of, I think one of the points that you made in your story was like, it's really important to differentiate yourself because there's a lot of just going to a great school. Increasingly, it's also, it's not enough. Yeah, and definitely. I think when you, when you can have other kind of tools in your belt I and mean, other experiences that other people may not have, it really yeah. helps to help you stand out. Definitely. Uh, and I've, I'd say that my argument would be that it's always been like that. You've always needed to stand out, but now even more so the case. And on the positive side, there's never been more ways to stand out. Mm -hmm. And there's never been more ways for you to find something to make you stand out. Whereas before it was, you know, now you can literally go on the internet, learn new skills, you know, create stuff, put yourself out there. You can write online, you can put your code online, you can create videos. You can start podcasts like you're doing. There's so many ways. And that honestly, when I've hired people through the years, I when someone has that on the side, that personally I love like that. Because I know they're the sort of person who is motivated enough to go and learn something themselves. They've got the discipline to like figure it out. And they're the best sort of people because they're 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 not just gonna be like a robot, like here's five things you need to do and now go do the five things that those people are needed in the workforce too but when you get higher up and you need really really smart people to figure stuff out you want to just trust that per that person can actually just really think critically 
break it down into its pieces and then say, oh, well, based on these factors, this is what I've now discovered. And mm -hmm. then has the ability to actually go and create it. And, and that is something now with the new podcast I've got. I do it with two guys, Jack Butcher, who's the founder of Visualize Value and Trunk Fan, who's prolific writer he writes for yeah. the hustle he's everyone's favorite follow on twitter he's like a really funny guy on there and th when i approached them to do the new podcast you know i was like really impressed they had never done a podcast before but i was like i know these guys like they're putting out work every day so you get mm -hmm. to know that person the way they think the way they write the way they communicate and uh, yeah so that we, maybe we'll get onto that a bit more later but that's kind of how, how i think about it man yeah, no, definitely, definitely. We'll definitely get onto that. I think one thing that I wanted to go through quickly is kind of the first, like the early days of you working at Google. Because I think one thing that I've realized is university is not like working at all. Definitely not. Yeah. Like being productive at university is not the same as being productive in the workplace yeah, and providing value. Can yeah. you kind of just speak about like what was that transition like and also like when you were working at google like how did you stand out like how did you yeah yeah it's um, a good point yeah so i was actually quite lucky the first job i had at google was in google dublin which is mm -hmm. the EMEA headquarters it's basically like a university college campus that happens to be a google office and you're getting paid fairly well so it's like everyone was 21 to 26 27 like on on average the people that were landing there from all over Europe, all over the Middle East and everywhere. And so that was actually quite a nice transition into the workforce because everyone else was in the same boat. It felt like we were all moving to a campus. Like, you know, in Europe, they have Erasmus or whatever. Yeah. It was like an Erasmus year where everyone gets to come and you make all these friends and we're all going through it together versus I'd say in another, when I moved to New York, is a lot different, right? Like there's people with families, different stages of life, and you kind of have to be, you just have to learn different ways of being in those environments. And the way you stand out there is very different to Google Dublin where everyone's smart, everyone's hungry. Their main focus is their career at that stage. So the, the, the way you stand out, like, first of all, when I went there, my plan was to be there for one or two years. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, after one or two years, I'll like make some connections, learn a little bit and I'll bounce. And then, you know, I stayed seven years, right? But every two, three years I moved because when you stop learning, you, you figure out like, how can I extend the learning curve, so to speak? So, so yeah, when I first got there, my main objective was just meet really good people. And that was something I really embraced, even probably the most I've ever done. And that was like, I said, I'm going to say hello to every person I meet. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to shake people's hands, be nice to people, go out of my way to like just you know, be a positive energy in the place. And that I think was honestly the foundation of my initial kind of building a career there because, you know, in my opinion, you know, business is done with people. So if you spend time speaking to a variety of people, you're going to start learning stuff from those people, right? And like what happens in the, in the German team that doesn't happen in UK? Oh, you're doing this project. Oh, we're not doing that in my team. Why don't I borrow some of that and maybe we can work together on something and i think like just becoming a very likable proactive person and helping other people as well i think that you know obviously over time it compounds right people start to see you as that person who's energetic making stuff happen and so with google specifically it might be different to other companies but there was always at that stage anyway there was that 20 percent project thing i don't know if you've heard of this but in google a lot of the biggest products have come 
from experiments. So it comes from an engineering mindset where if you're a coder, one day a week, you would spend on experiments and like creating new tools and stuff like that and working on ideas you've got. It used to be like that. It really becomes like 120%. Like you're doing your full-time job still and you take on an extra project. But I did those throughout my time. And even as a non-technical person, that like mindset of like, okay, my core job is here. I need to be really good at that no matter what. But what are the other things? What are the big problems in the that I can see? Because I'm speaking to these people. I'm speaking to the people higher up. I'm asking them, oh, what's your biggest problem? Like, what's the what's the outlook right now? Like, what are you struggling with? What? How can I help? Sort of thing. And if you do that enough, you're going to start seeing the problems, right? So for me, as an example, I kept seeing in the digital marketing side. There was all this data and there weren't many people to interpret it properly and turn that into like actionable things. So mm. I just like really doubled down on the data side and I started learning about something called attribution in digital marketing and you know all this it's not that complicated but a lot if you say that word in a marketing room even today people like start getting shook so because <laughs> they don't know how to solve it. So I was like okay if that's that's a problem it's the same process you go through for starting a company or doing any business is oh you you know it's a problem and you start digging into the problem or why why are they confused why it, it seems straightforward and then when you start going deeper you start realizing oh this is why and this is a problem for these reasons and and then you can start to figure out is there a way we can like simplify it is there a way we can create something that is scalable beyond just my myself and in a big company like that that's kind of how you stand out is everyone's good at their core job right like they wouldn't be there unless they were pretty competent so you really need to find those extra projects that are gonna you know push you into different areas and get you kind of i i kind of hate playing this game but that's what it is at companies right like to be seen essentially like there's a hmm. word they use there is like visibility like managers would say oh can you we i want to get you to be more visible and like someone like me hates that because i'm like i'm like a purebred like let me do good work and just put it out yeah. there Whereas the, a lot of it becomes in a bigger company, and that's one of the reasons I eventually left, is 20% doing really good work. And then 8%, how did you position it? Did you sell it internally? Did you, you know, communicate upwards? All those kind of like political things. And again, look, that's important, right? Like in any industry, whether you're an entrepreneur of your small company or big company, you need to learn how to communicate the good work you do. And I've got better at that over the mm. years. But when I was 22, I'm this idealistic kid like oh i know i can do good stuff and i'll be rewarded and then at some point that doesn't translate right and just to share an example there was one year i got a given an award for like a global recognition award within google for doing this work that no one was doing and in that quarter my rating was like a what's called meets expectations right which is mm -hmm. there's like misses meets exceeds and you need exceeds several quarters to get promoted and it just obviously didn't make sense, right? And in my head, I'm like, okay, this doesn't compute. And that was probably the moment where I was like, oh, I'm never staying here long term. Because if someone works harder, figures stuff out quicker than someone else, why? and they're not rewarded, why am I going to like hang around forever? I'm just going to stunt my growth. So that was kind of like a young version of me realizing, okay, there's going to be problems within any workforce. And I'm probably more suited to doing things myself where I can directly see the impact. At the same time, there's there's a lot more risk, right? Like with my clients that I work with, 
if I don't add value every month, they can just tell me, oh, we can't afford to pay you anymore or whatever, right? So there's, but you need to be able to be willing to take on that risk. If you do, then there's a lot more upside. There's more flexibility. You have the ability to scale yourself. Like my girlfriend in the other room right now, she's really building a real proper agency where she's hiring more and more people, getting more and more clients. And that is something she couldn't do in a job, right? So it sounds obvious, but just when you actually see in action, you realize you're scaling beyond your time that you're putting in. And that's kind of one of the big shifts for me becoming self-employed is you go from renting out your time nine to five every week, every day, and you need to be at your desk every day to kind of the next stage in kind of like wealth creation for me anyway is moving beyond just the time and selling through the output. So in my case is, oh, you want to pay someone a salary to be there all day, but what are their responsibilities? Oh, they're going to look after this. They're going to figure out digital marketing. They're going to help you grow to X revenue, whatever. So that pitch from my side is to say, I can get you that output and I'll charge you this amount, which is basically within their budget for paying someone a full-time salary. And I'll give it a try for a month. If you don't like it, great. We can just part ways. If it does work, we'll just keep going. And then kind of adding in more and more responsibility. So that's kind of the next stage where now if I do the work in five days or I do it in two days or I, do, or I outsource it, it doesn't matter. I'm still providing value to that company and I'm able to charge that amount. So yeah, I don't know if that was going off on another tangent, but that's kind of how I've thought about the evolution, evolution of the work. No, no, that's really good. I want to call out a few things because you said so many, like there's yeah, so yeah. much to unpack there. I think the first, the first thing, and I think this is good for anyone in their career, but especially when you're early in your career, is what you said about just like bringing energy. Because I remember when I first, because I initially started working consulting, and I remember when I stepped in and like, you see people that have been working in the industry for like 15, 20 years, but they went to like the best schools, they maybe went to like a business school. And you're just coming out of university. You're like, what am I going to add to this environment? Like, I don't know how to do, I don't have the experience that they yeah. have. And I think it's one like of the most- imposter syn Like a little yeah. imposter syndrome, right? For sure. And like, I think one of the most kind of underestimated skills is just bringing like great energy. Like people just want you in the room. You're like proactive. And I remember someone even, someone even told me in consulting, they're like, even if you're going into a meeting, just bringing like a laptop charger in case someone's laptop runs out of battery. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like bringing a pen, like just being really, I watch a lot of basketball and it's funny because you have like some players, I think like Alex Caruso is a good example of this. Mm. Like he kind of just cleans up all of the small things. Yeah. Like he, he sets screens. He like rolls to the basket. He defends just really well. Just an all-round good player. Like yeah. everyone's like, oh, he's, I want that person on my team. And, and the thing is, like, he's one of those players where even the best players want him on the team. Yeah. Like LeBron, LeBron James, like, he loves playing with him mm. because he does all of the little things that you don't see. And to be honest, it's just effort. You don't yeah. actually need incredible talent or experience. And I think that's something uh, that like, anyone can do. I definitely agree. That's definitely a good foundation. I think especially early on. I will say, though, there's a balance because at some point you get to the point where you don't always want to be the person cleaning up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that's not, there's nothing wrong cleaning up, you know, obviously. But you know what I mean? It's like there's being helpful, but then there's also getting the respect you deserve. 
And I mm. think sometimes there's other people within the dynamic of a workplace that aren't always as nice and mm. they might want to be like, hey, well, you go and do this for me. I'm like calling the shots and they just take on this role, which in one way is a leadership role, but other times is like in a cynical way, in a bad case, they can be like using people, right? So I think, um, I've, but overall, I agree. Like if you're going to be the positive person and the person who's always helping, that's never going to be a bad thing overall. But I mm. think it's then being able to layer on top like depending on your job obviously but like to get the respect of oh i have an opinion that's worth listening to speaking up when you need to pushing back sometimes when you need to as well not being afraid to kind of like challenge people even people who are more senior but i 100 percent agree like just being that positive energy not one everyone wants that person around right like that good energy brings a good vibes and on the flip side the person who's always finding the negative being like oh well that's not going to work for these reasons that person is someone a lot of people try to avoid like it's only happened to me a couple of times but that that energy just gets drained out of a team and especially mm. then when you go to like managing teams that becomes quite a hard thing to balance because they could be really smart people but you need to you know it's like football or basketball like you need it to work like you could have a star player and like, let's just say Arsenal right now, Aubameyang, as much as I really love Aubameyang, yeah. behind the scenes, it seems like there was something where he's not turning up on time, he's you know, mm. not doing the things he's supposed to be doing. And the manager, Arteta, is like, okay, we can't have that. He's got rid of him. And again, you can argue if that's a good or a bad thing, but honestly, long-term for a team to function, you kind of, you just need everyone to be on the same page. And yeah. you need to feel valued that like, oh, I'm putting in all this work. Everyone else is doing that too. And uh, so finding that harmony is quite a difficult thing, honestly. Yeah. And it's really about like being a culture setter, right? And I think that's a big thing that even going back to the sports thing, like Arsenal are doing at the moment is like, they're trying to at yeah, least make culture. sure that, yeah, everyone that they buy or get in the building is like, on the same page with regards to culture like they're yeah they're showing up on time they're doing the small things yeah, the right the non-negotiables are there and they accept that coming in and that's that's a good point i definitely think it makes a big difference man especially for the best highest functioning teams you, you need that like shared accountability one thing you did say earlier that i would also just add to is you said something about like consistency or like hard work which again i 100 percent those are always positive traits actually i'm just thinking of jack butcher he the guy i do the pod with he just tweeted something this morning which was kind of contrary to that though saying and i actually kind of agree with him which is sometimes it can be overemphasized like sometimes you can be consistent at something that's just never going to work mm. you know what i mean and like sometimes there's a skill to learning like oh i tried i was working really hard and it just now i need to change slight direction then I'm going to keep being consistent and putting in the reps or whatever. But there's there's like working smart versus hard. And ideally, you can do both, right? Like you're a really hardworking person, but you don't waste your time doing a bunch of stuff that everyone's telling you you need to do. And half the time is not needed. And uh, this is a kind of a harsh way to put it. But what he wrote to a reply was like someone said about consistency and he said something like, well, you can be consistent, go consistently working at McDonald's every day. That might not mean you're in a position to up level yourself. Like the next roll up isn't going to be much better. And that's again, no disrespect to anyone working at McDonald's. It's just yeah. an example. And, but I think that's actually an interesting frame to say like, it's definitely a positive trait, 
But I guess the question is, what's the most important thing? And I would argue the most important thing is what we talked about before, the curiosity, being proactive, thinking smart, being able to connect the dots where it makes sense. And then, of course, that consistency is a prerequisite. Hard work is a prerequisite. But I think sometimes it can be almost overemphasized, especially in an age of like Instagram clips where like I love Gary Vee. He's been on my podcast. He's a great guy and very positive for the world. But I think a lot of people will see his videos like, oh, he's hustling and he's working so hard and doing all this. Gary Vee can do that because he's a force of nature and his DNA is 0.01% of what he does. And he's also 0.01% salesperson. He's incredible storyteller, incredible, eloquent in his own way. And a lot of the stuff, if someone else is doing what he does, it just probably wouldn't work, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think, so it's it's like a combination of those factors. And so like you could, so I think someone like Gary Vee, when I interviewed him, one of the things we talked about was trying to strip away, like what is he actually really good at that other people can take from versus what he's naturally good at. And that's kind of like basketball, a great example. Like me and you can go and try to dunk or shoot three throws and three pointers all day, but we're not going to be LeBron James. So mm. I think what I've tried to get to the point of what can I be closest to? What's my version of being LeBron James in my own personal way? Obviously, it doesn't have to be at a world scale, but like, what am I really good at? What are the things I naturally enjoy? What are the things I do where time just goes by? Because that is, if you can spend time doing that, and you somehow find a way to make money from it, that is a pretty cool way to live life, in my opinion. Hmm. I think it's such uh, it's such valuable advice because it's like, I think you start with, and this is always what's been told to me by like my parents and stuff, which is you start with the foundation, which is like, you know, you show up on time, you're consistent, Completely. you work hard, you listen, you learn, things like that. Yeah. And then... Obviously, you want to elevate, which I think is mm. kind of that's what you're alluding to, right? It's yeah. like it's you like want to be the able next to stage. take. Yeah, and I guess my question for you, and it's something I'm trying to figure out right now, like in my career, is like, what was that process like for you? Maybe it was at Google. Maybe it was when you first started the pod, of like, okay, I'm really fucking good at this yeah. specific thing, and yeah. then cultivating that. Like, what was that? Like? Yeah, it's a great, really good question. And so the way I actually think about it, I'll kind of say a framework of how I think about this. And then one of the factors is what I'm really good at. And I'll, I'll answer your question specifically. So there's kind of like, what am I good at naturally? Where can I be useful in the marketplace, in a job? And does it pay, right? Because I could be really good at playing the flute, but like the flute might not make me as much money, which again, this doesn't mean making money is the only thing but like yeah. this is one of the factors we do need to consider playing the flute might not make me as much value in the short run or medium than like learning coding or learning digital marketing skills or whatever else sales skills marketing skills etc and that is just like two of the things i look at and then i'll look at kind of like where i am in my own life like what am i prioritizing so early in my career i mean throughout my career, even now, the number one thing is learning and growth. And you'd assume everyone has that, but it's not always the case. There's, you'll meet people and there's not a right or wrong. It's just knowing what you like. You got to really look yourself in the mirror and be like, what do I really care about? And a lot of people when they're young think it's money. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I'm all for people making money. But what I'm saying is when you, let's say you make a million 
and you think, oh, I've got to this number I was working towards. What happens now? Are you going to be as motivated to get to 1.5, to 2, to 5? Like for a lot of people, the answer is actually no. And even if it will drive them a little bit, they need to actually know. And honestly, there are some people though that really truly just love making money. And those people are normally great salespeople. And like traditional sales, like could be in ad tech, it could be in SaaS, it could be like, it doesn't have to be like knocking on people's doors, but the skills if like, I need a target, let me get this number and I'm, I'm gonna make a proportionate bonus. That is a great living for a lot of people, but they have to really care about hitting targets and be that achievement driven. For someone like me, I like that part, but I'm a little bit more complex or I'm like complicated, whatever word you want to use. Mm -hmm. I like to feel fulfilled. I like the growth. I like to feel mentally stimulated. I like to like learn stuff. And so what I did is I actually wrote out, I asked myself a bunch of questions. Like, and I think one of them was, what do I naturally, like what am I doing on the weekends and the evenings when I get into bed and I pull out my phone and I'm like curious to read something or the podcast I'm listening to, like what's the stuff that's naturally drawing my attention? Because that's probably, that's gonna be easy for me. And when you wanna be really good at something, in most cases you need to do stuff that comes easy to you, in my opinion. Like, yeah, this needs to be challenged. You're gonna like get a hundred times better at interviewing by doing a hundred times more interviews but you need to naturally like spending time with people and hearing the stories and having conversations because otherwise it's a waste of your time, right? And I can tell already you do, right? If there's someone else who says, I think I need to make a podcast because that's the thing to do, but they don't actually enjoy speaking to people, then they can do something else. There's, they, there's plenty of things you could do. You can write a newsletter, you can create videos yourself, you can do mm. whatever. And so I think it's like, being honest with yourself, like today, what do I currently like doing? What do I spend time doing anyway? And write those down. Because at first you might think, well, I like talking to people and I like football, like what, where's this going? But like just having that written down. And then when you can, and then when you marry that with the next one, which is, does the market pay for this? Is there a need for someone with these unique skills? That maybe rule some of those out. Maybe they become hobbies, you know what I mean? So like, all right, I like playing football or like managing football teams, but I'm not gonna be Mikel Arteta or Pep Guardiola. So I'll stick to playing football manager on the weekend for two hours. You're like mm. on the, uh, as a game and that will like fulfill that part of my brain, right? So it's just like figuring that part out. And there's actually like, I'm adapting something called like Ikigai, You've probably heard of it's like a japanese phrase i can't actually remember the buckets but it's like something like this is like three buckets that or four buckets you should look at so that's normally how i look at it and then the last one i was mentioning was like what am i prioritizing right now so yeah learning growth has always been top but at different stages has changed so while i was at google it was always learning growth and then eventually it got like location changed i was like oh i've been in dublin for a few years i need to move back to london i need to be near my family for whatever reason so that trumps the growth, right? Mm. I'm like, okay, I wanna get growth too, but if I was ranking everything, that is maybe something I'm gonna prioritize to get back into this place. And then once I did that and I said, okay, now I'm gonna move to the States and I could have gone to a completely brand new team, but I stayed in a similar function and it married like the e-commerce fashion background I had with like digital marketing and sales, but it was up leveling my skill set because just coming to the States, you, you're dealing with bigger fish, right? Like the, all the deals are bigger, the clients are bigger, you're flying across the country to have a meeting. Like you don't do that 
you, I didn't do that anyway in the UK the way I do in the States. So that for me was like a comfortable mix of progressing, learning new stuff, but not completely out of my depth. Like, oh, I'm learning, I'm working out oil company and I don't know anything about oil and I don't really care about oil. You know what I mean? So, and then the last one, when I left, I actually left Google to go to a nonprofit for two years, uh, a nonprofit called Charity Water. And I actually met the founder on my podcast. So he's really interesting dude. You should read his book called Thirst, incredible guy. The short story is he was a nightclub promoter doing the opposite of giving people clean drinking water, getting people smashed every week <laughs> and doing like, you know, in his words, he was like the worst person he knew. And long story short, he really turned his life around and now he's helped raise five, $600 million for clean water, helped millions and millions of people with, and really reinvented charity that space because of the way he's approached it. So I like interviewed him and I was like, oh my God, this guy is like, you inspired me. And that was the stage, right? I was five, six years into my career. I'd saved up a decent amount. I'd proven to myself I could get to the, I, I think at one point I wanted to get to like six figure salary. And I'm like, okay, now I got to this. Now I need to save up X amount. And those things are important, but they're a little arbitrary, like because they can always keep going up. You know, yeah. but I will say there's people I know, like I have a few friends who constantly get back to zero. And again, er everyone should do what they want to do. But I think it's very difficult to make that sort of jump, like the way I went to a nonprofit, if I was in debt, right? Or if I had like 5,000 pounds only savings, I wouldn't have felt comfortable, you know, be basically like, you know, capping my upside in salary and everything. But at that moment, what I cared about was making a difference, you know, the job itself was a great jump. Like I was managing a big team. I had ownership of a function, which is something I was looking for. So these are all things I wrote out. Like what, ideally, what would a great scenario look like? I wanted to be in a social impact org at the time, like feel like I'm making a difference. And that kind of trumped, let's say money in that case. Because even though I made a good salary, it was not optimizing for money. I could have gone somewhere else and made twice the amount to get optimal salary. And maybe if I was 22 and I needed to pay back my student loan debt, that would have been the right decision for me to make. So it's always, you know, there's never one right way of doing it, but that's kind of the summary is what am I good at? What does market pay for? And what are the kind of intangibles that, that I need to rank and I need to stack rank them to say what's the most important thing to me right now? And you're never going to get a 10 out of 10 or all of them most of the time. If you do, that's like a unicorn job. Most of the time, you're going to have to, there's some sort of trade-off. So in this case, it was the increased upside of money, but still it was an amount that I felt happy and I felt valued enough, but I got all these other benefits. So yeah, that's kind of uh, how I would think about it, even today when I when I make changes. No, I think it's, there's so many things in, in what you just said. I think one of the things that really stood out was like knowing what you want and like reflecting, like actively reflecting on that. Because I think, one of the things, and I've done this as well, is sometimes, especially when you start working and your time becomes more limited, it's like you're kind of just moving without a plan of action. Like you're just, you're busy all the time, you're always doing stuff, but like you're not actually getting closer to what your goals are. That's and it really point. does take, it takes a lot of reflection to actually figure out. Because a lot of the times I think things like money or living in a certain area, they seem like, oh, that's what I want. But if you really reflected on it, you would be like, 
I don't really even care about that. Like, yeah, and the thing, it just depends because some people do. And like, so it just yeah. depends on, or sometimes you need to do that to get it out your system and realize, oh, that's not what I wanted. Right. Or like, I will say that I think on location, as I've gotten older, where like 10 out of 10, all I cared about was career progression and business and whatever to like a more of a balanced life. I've realized personally, like where I live actually makes a huge difference to mm-hmm. my life. Not just in terms of like the prestige of living in a certain place. I mean, more like access to people, even even business wise, access to market. Obviously, that's becoming a lot easier nowadays by being remote. But there is a difference like being in New York versus being in the middle of nowhere. Like you can still do the same stuff online, but there's still some stuff in person you can't do and and so that doesn't that you, it's just weighing up those pros and cons right for someone else they're like i don't want to be in a big city i want to live in the countryside or i want to live in the suburbs and that's completely cool like people should do whatever they prefer but for someone like me maybe you like there's a certain energy you get from a big city even if you're mm. not going into the office like and for someone like me who's also creative i need the kind of like that gives me the energy to do stuff and but then you need to find ways to combat like the overburn or whatever right like it's too much energy and you need to chill out and uh, Mm. that's i'm going next week for a a couple weeks i'm going for a month to mexico city and oaxaca because i'm like man i need to get out of the cold i'm too tropical for this you know what i mean i need to just like (laughs) get some vitamin d and feel a bit more rejuvenated but then i miss new york and i come back so it just really depends on on the person you know so I had to cut it there. Thanks for tuning into Behind the Thread. Please subscribe and leave a review. It really helps grow the pod. Next week, we'll be bringing you part two of this episode with Bilal. Thanks for listening and see you next time.